that was the voice of Paul Harvey uh, from his radio program. He, he would share that story every Christmas. It became one of his most famous and popular uh, stories, The Man and the Birds. And, and I love that story because it, it pictures for us the anguish of wanting to save something and yet being unable to do it. The man so desperately wants to rescue these birds, but then he realizes he can only save them if he were one of them. And then the, the, the truth and the beauty of the incarnation finally comes rushing in. It floods his heart and his mind. Now, the, the Apostle John wrote these words of Jesus. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John goes on to say, No one has seen God at any time, but Jesus Christ, God's Son, he has explained him or revealed him to us. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And y'all, this is, this is the meaning of Christmas. And this is why for me, even when we come back to these stories over and over, today we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, they never get old. They, they never really wear out, no matter how familiar they become. And at least for me, the Christmas stories take on more and deeper meaning with every year. Because I, I hope that we come to realize what Luke is doing here in the early chapters of his gospel. He's not just telling us about something God did. He's showing us who God is. I mean, at the very deepest level, we're finding out about the heart of God. Not only who he is in his own nature and character, but also how God feels about us and the lengths God is willing to go to to save us. And so we're going to look today at a scripture, Luke chapter 1, that we looked at last December and the year before that and the year before that. We come back to it every year without apology. Of course, my hope is that you forgot maybe most of the details of what we talked about 52 Sundays ago. Uh, I certainly have. Um, but either way, our, our, our joy today is to revisit the truth and the beauty of the incarnation of God becoming man. And so let's, let's look at Luke chapter 1, what our awesome kids read for us a moment ago. This is the angel Gabriel visiting the Virgin Mary to tell her what God is preparing to do. Now, real quickly before we read, um, we should be familiar with the, the, the historical context right here. Um, this encounter in Luke 1 is coming basically on the heels of a prolonged period of darkness. Uh, prior to the coming of Christ, God sent prophets to the people of Israel, a great many prophets, men like Jeremiah and Isaiah and Nahum and Malachi. And these prophets, their, their goal, their job was to 
call the people back to God, to call the people away from their sin and their rebellion and back to faithfulness and trust and obedience to God. And yet the, the, the people scorned the prophets. They would not listen. They would not repent. And in many cases, they abused these men for their message. Well, then, from the end of Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament, until the beginning of Matthew, the Gospels, there's a 400-year period of silence where God did not send a prophet. He did not send an angel. And so think about that. 400 years. Think about all the generations that encompassed. Maybe the people were beginning to think that God had forgotten us, or perhaps God's given up on us. But watch and see. Y'all, Christmas truly is a, an explosion of light right in the middle of the darkness. Look at what happens in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. Um, most of us, I think, when we picture an angel, we have in mind something brilliant and bright and shining, something powerful, very otherworldly, of course. We're talking about an angel. And even when we picture the Mother Mary, mostly because we've seen uh, depictions in, in, uh, in artwork throughout the centuries, we think of Mary as, as very prominent and stately. Oftentimes she's got some sort of glowing halo kind of thing behind her head. She's very bright and prominent, just like we might picture an angel to be. And yet that's not how Luke paints the picture. No, Gabriel comes to Nazareth, not bright and shining, or at least not as Luke tells us, but he comes to this backwoods town. Y'all, Nazareth was a blip on the radar at best. I'm from Conroe, Texas, and Conroe looks like Manhattan compared to Nazareth. And he goes to this backwoods place to visit a poor young woman whose name is Mary. Now, who is Mary? If we could somehow set aside what we know or what we think we know about Mary, coming across her name for the first time in Luke, who is this woman? Y'all, she's a nobody. And I don't say that as an insult to her. I'm just telling you, there's nothing about her that we really know from the scripture, except that she was engaged to a man named Joseph, who was of the descendants of David. We don't know a lot about Joseph either, but we know more than, than Mary. Joseph at least came from a kingly line, the descendants of David. We talked about that genealogy last week. But Mary, she has no genealogy recorded in the Bible. We don't know where she came from. We don't even know the names of her parents. We're told nothing about her former life before this encounter. 
All we really know at this point about Mary is that she is favored by God. And y'all, when, when the scripture says, when the angel says, you have found favor with God, here's what, here's what that doesn't mean. Y'all, there are, there are people who believe, based on this scripture, that because Mary was favored by God, that meant that Mary was some almost divine in her own right. She was essentially perfect. Some people believe that Mary never sinned, not once, not before or after the coming of Jesus. And so in this sense, she was favored because she herself was great. Um, But that is not a belief that actually comes from the Bible. The Bible never tells us that. And this word favor actually doesn't mean something you earn by being special. The word favor, it's actually, as Luke writes it in Greek, it's the Greek word keratao, which means to be endowed with grace. It means God has poured out his grace upon you, and grace by its definition is unearned, unmerited favor. And so, y'all, this is, this is really consistent with how God always operates, all throughout history. He doesn't come to Mary because she is prominent or wealthy or because she has an impressive list of accomplishments or an impressive background to draw from. She's not an influencer. She has no celebrity to bring to the table. No, she in herself is effectively a nobody. Now, we can tell if we continue to read the story through Luke, we see that Mary's very humble. She's very godly. She loves the Lord and is obedient to his word. But we don't get any indication that she's better than all the other women in Israel. And so when when the angel comes to Mary on God's behalf to speak God's words, he does not say, Mary, you have earned the right to be the mother of Christ. No, he says, I am giving you favor. My favor, my grace is upon you. And y'all quick aside here, that's how any of us are able to come to God ourselves in the first place. We only come to God this same way. You cannot earn God's favor by being good. You don't experience God's blessing because you deserve it. No, you can only receive his favor, his grace, and it comes to us freely, not because we're good, but because he is good. It's the goodness of God that gives us life, that makes us acceptable, that grants us grace. And so that's what Gabriel is saying to Mary here. You haven't earned anything. Mary wasn't praying a special prayer or doing some special ritual when the angel came into the room. She was simply Mary, and God's grace was upon her. And here's what Gabriel says God is going to accomplish in this young woman. Look at verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. The announcement, now think about this, what? Based on what I just read, 
very, very high and mighty kind of language here. But look at how it began in verse 31. It's very personal and very earthy. The angel says, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Now, if that were all that the angel said, if it stopped right there, there wouldn't necessarily be anything miraculous about that announcement. Mary may well have assumed that the, the angel is just telling me about what's going to happen. I'm going to marry Joseph. We're going to come together. We'll conceive a son, and God wants us to name him Jesus. That wasn't totally out of the ordinary, that God would instruct someone what a child's name ought to be according to God's special purpose. But it's, it's not necessarily miraculous right at first. But then, then the angel expands on the promise. It's not just that you will bear in your uh, womb a child, but there's something about this child. There's something about Jesus you need to know. God is up to something cosmic here, something supernatural. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of David and his kingdom will have no end. Now, we're, we're, again, we're so familiar with this story that we, we might tend to gloss over the details. This is always a struggle for me. I know the story. I have at least rough details memorized, probably. I could recite them without a Bible in front of me. Most of us could. Jesus is going to give birth to Jesus, uh, or Mary, the virgin, is going to give birth to Jesus. Um, but think about what God is planning to do here. Expectation versus reality. God is planning to do something that no one has ever seen or, or heard of or even imagined. The creator of the universe is about to send his own son into the world. God is going to come down to us. And y'all, this is far and away, this is the most important thing that's ever happened. Nothing can compare the implications of this are universal. I mean, th this is, Jesus is going to have a kingdom that will never end. The expanse of his kingdom, the, the reach and the, the, uh, the, uh, the eternality of his kingdom, it, it has no end. God is about to make the statement of all statements right here. Okay, so how's he going to do that? Um, if you remember the movie Aladdin, the old Disney movie, Aladdin is a poor thief who desperately wants to win the heart of the Princess Jasmine. And so he's got this genie and he wishes to become royal because surely the princess would be impressed with and fall in love with a royal person. Well, the genie grants his wish. And not only does he make Aladdin royal, but he throws this great parade for him as they enter into the city. All, complete with song and dance, and the genie keeps going around throughout all the parade, boosting up Aladdin's reputation and how great he is because he wants to be seen as great, especially in the eyes of the princess. And we look at that and we think, well, that's how it's done. If you're going to do something significant, if you're going to be significant and be seen as, uh, as great, then you've got to present yourself that way. So if God is going to send his son into the world, how's he going to do it? Well, he, he's, he ought to descend from the heavens with trumpets and angels and bright shining lights and pyrotechnics. There ought to be such a to-do, such an event, that nobody could possibly miss it. Isn't that how you would reveal 
your great plan for the world. And yet what we see here in the scripture is it's basically the total opposite. That God sends his son into the world and he says in, in a town no one cares about to a woman no one's ever heard of, he says, from your womb you're going to bear a son and his name shall be Jesus. He's going to reign forever. His kingdom will have no end. But he's going to come into the world in absolute humility, in weakness. Jesus was not some sort of superhuman baby, able to lift things up over his head. He was a baby, just like any other baby. He was weak and needy. He cried. He was like us in that way. The king of the universe chose to come into the world the same way we did. He makes himself lowly in order to rescue the lowly. That's the message of Christmas. He lowers himself in order to reach down and save the world. Y'all, if God wanted to impress us with a show of power, that would have been no problem for him. With the, with the wave of his hand, he could do it. And yet that's not what he did. He came to show us that his salvation is not what we expect. His way of achieving greatness is not the way we would achieve it or pursue it. Uh, the Apostle Paul says something very much like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, God's salvation works like this. God chooses what seems foolish to us. God works in ways that to us seem weak and, and base and unworthy. And yet that's how he goes about bringing our deliverance. Y'all, the, the long story of human history is us grasping for glory, us trying to elevate ourselves. And the story of the gospel, the story of Christmas, is God, the one who actually has the glory, reaching down, coming down, making himself nothing so that we might become something, so that he might truly give us life. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. That's what's happening here. And you know, this, this story, it's so sweet. We make it so sweet. And the songs we sing about it are so sweet. that We might, we might miss the radical nature of what's actually happening here. You know, this is a radical message. This is not an easy message to, to, uh, to take in and then digest. Most religious people, people who really have a high view of God, would view a story like this with contempt. I mean, really, what an insult it is to God to think that he would ever humble himself. We're the ones who need to humble ourselves, not him. That God would corrupt himself by coming down to become one of us. That he would stain himself with the sins of humanity like that. No, the Lord is pure and he is holy and he is perfect. How dare we speak of him in such lowly terms? How dare we drag God's perfect name through the mud like that? How could God ever truly rub shoulders with, with you and me? That's a fair question. If God is really that great, 
How could he and why would he do something like this? We all, the, the, the answer is actually given to us all throughout the story. I mean, right here, sweet Mary finally gets an opportunity to, to speak, to say something. And she asks the most obvious question in the world. Verse 34, Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I'm a virgin? Now, that's not a lack of faith on Mary's part. She's, she's just genuinely curious. How is it that a woman who's never known a man is going to have a baby? How's this going to work? Well, look at what the angel says in reply. Verse 35, the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. Isn't that an amazing statement? The same God who created everything from nothing. The same God who spoke all life into existence by the exertion of his own glorious power. That God is going to bring life to your womb by the power of the Holy Spirit. God is able to bring life where there is nothing. God is able to, to produce this miracle by his own power and glory. And see this, for that reason, the angel says, the holy child shall be called the son of God. And so if the question is, well, how can God come to us without being corrupted himself? How can God come down to earth without losing his glory in the process? Well, the answer is right here, through what we call the virgin birth. Through the virgin birth. Now, um, three really quick things. I like to share these every year. They're worth reminding us as to why the virgin birth is significant. It's not just a throwaway detail. Uh, it's not a meaningless kind of miracle. Three reasons why it's so important to us. Uh, first, it shows us very plainly that Jesus' birth is supernatural. Y'all, Jesus was not like us in the sense that he was an ordinary sinful man, and God just happened to put blessing and anointing upon him for a special purpose on the earth. In that sense, we could say that Jesus was just like Abraham and David and the prophets and anybody else in the Bible. But no, the virgin birth confirms to us that he is not just like the kings or the prophets or any other great teacher or leader in the Bible. He is the divine son of God. He came to us supernaturally. And then secondly, we find in Jesus both the fullness of deity and humanity. The virgin birth shows us that Jesus is both fully God and fully man, both at the same time. He is conceived of the Holy Spirit, and he is born of a woman. Both God and man, uh, Jesus is the fullness of, um, of, of, of that uh, divine reality, something only God could do. We find it in the person of Jesus. And then thirdly, the virgin birth shows us that the solution to our sin problem is beyond us. It's, it comes from outside of us. 
Back in the Psalms, King David made a, a great statement about himself, and it's true for every person. David says, I was conceived in sin and brought forth in iniquity. Y'all, you and I, we are born, even before we, we commit a conscious sin, we are born already in need of redemption, of salvation. We are never, even from at our first breath, we are not what we ought to be. We are never totally pure. But Jesus comes through a woman by the power of the Holy Spirit. Gabriel says, he will be a holy child and he shall be the son of God. A holy child, meaning he is set apart. He is pure from the start in a way that none of us are. And therefore, the holy child, Jesus Christ, has come to save us from our sins. That's why his name is Jesus. It means God's salvation. God saves. Our salvation is not found by looking within ourselves. We need salvation that only God can provide. And it's his holy son, born of a virgin, come to give it. Y'all, Jesus Jesus didn't trade being God for becoming man, as if he had to choose. No, he comes in the fullness of God and man, and therefore Jesus is the only person who's ever lived who can rightly claim to be our Savior. He is the Savior, born of a virgin. Um, Y'all, earlier when when we uh, heard and then spoke a little bit about Paul Harvey's message. Um, I I love that message. It it paints such a a helpful picture to us of what the incarnation is about. But it's not a complete picture. It's it's a pointer. It's a helper, but it's not complete. You see, in that story, the, the man, his only concern was with getting the birds into the barn, with rescuing them from danger, getting them from point A to point B so that they might be safe. And we we would be wrong to impose that idea onto God. As if God's sole purpose in sending Jesus into the world was simply to get us from one place to the other. From from out of danger and into safety. Out of hell and into heaven. Of course, that's part of it. But that's not the fullness of Christ's coming. Ultimately, when Jesus Christ came into the world, he came... Not that he might get us to a certain place, but that he might bring us to God. That he might reconcile us in relationship with God. That we might become sons and daughters of a heavenly father and then brothers and sisters of a savior. That's why he came. That he might bring us to God that we might know God for ourselves. And so here's the plain truth. If God wants to be known, then he's got to make himself known. We don't discern God on our own. We don't figure God out simply through our own intuition and resources. Many people try to do it that way, but that's not how it works. No, God must speak. God must reveal himself. God must enter in. And that's why Christmas is so absolutely essential. The scripture says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of God's nature. In him, all the fullness 
of deity dwells in bodily form. Jesus said about himself, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. God has written himself into the story, not just to get us out of our bad situation, but that he might bring us to himself, that we might know God and have relationship with God by faith in his Son. Well, the holy child who was born to Mary truly is the Son of God. There was nothing hollow or incomplete in Gabriel's promise. It all came to fruition. It all happened just so. We see it in Jesus' conception as well as in his birth, which we'll look at next week. We see it in his holy life and in his miraculous ministry. And then above all, we see it in his sacrificial death on the cross and in his glorious resurrection from the dead. The son who was born to us also came to die for us. And so by faith in him, we are rescued from darkness. The, the great promise fulfilled at Christmas, the people sitting in darkness have seen a great light. Those living in the land of darkness, upon them light has dawned. And that is true for you and me when we turn to Jesus Christ. We are rescued out of darkness, out of sin, out of death, and brought into his marvelous light. May we receive the free, unearned favor of God this Christmas. May we be endowed by his grace and know what it is to trust him, to walk with him, to treasure him as he deserves. Let's pray together. Father, we are this, uh, this morning, we are... Uh, I hope we are enriched and deepened and gladdened when we look into this familiar story. That it is not so familiar to us that we gloss over it or take it for granted. But Lord, I pray that, that it, it just plants deeper within the soil of our hearts and our minds. That you, uh, at Christmas, Lord... You determined to see through your great plan, the plan, Lord, that you had, had established from eternity past before you created the universe. You intended in love to send your Son to save the world. And Christmas is the joyous fulfillment of this. And for us, Lord, as we look back on that fulfillment, Father, Give us a deeper joy, a greater appreciation for the links that you were willing to go to, Lord, in love for us. And, and Father, I, I pray that you would um, enlighten us. And I mean that in the most sincere way, that you would enlighten us, not just with, with information, that, that you would bring light to our hearts and minds, light to our eyes, light to our paths as we walk out this life. Your light has come into the world. 
just as you promised. He will be great. And he will sit upon the throne of David, and his kingdom will have no end. He will reign forever. He will save his people from their sins. Father, let these these truths resound within us. And Lord, let the light of Jesus Christ um, consume us. Father, I pray this for Harvest Church and for anybody else who's a a part of this, this time together. Lord, let Christmas be for us the joy of our hearts. Let us enjoy um, what we've been given in Jesus Christ and all the hope that we have now resting upon him. But Lord, let us also be the kind of people who cannot and will not hold this joy and keep it to ourselves. Lord, but that we will make the light of Jesus known, that we will live and and, uh, speak and relate to others in such a way uh, that this light will, will abound, that this light will, um, uh, will um, shine upon others. We have no better news to share. We have no greater ambition to live for than to know you, Father, through your Son, Jesus Christ, and now to make him known. Give us joy this Christmas as, uh, as we walk these things out. Uh, Lord, let this not be a sweet story that we enjoy hearing. Let it be, Lord, the, um, the absolute bedrock of everything we are. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.